Don't you wish you had that kind of applause every time you stood up to speak? You addressed somebody, everybody just miraculously broke out in applause. Well, I just happen to have a button that does it. Anytime I, anytime I feel like I need a little inspiration or affirmation, because maybe sometimes I'm feeling down. And you need that little applause button inside of you. And that's the truth that you actually can have that little applause button. It's not magic. It's actually not mysterious, but you might not know why it is that you feel bad and how you can actually feel better. So again, I want to take this opportunity to read you a little bit, an excerpt from my new book, The Whole World is Going Crazy, But You Don't Have to, Scriptural and Psychological Healing. Not the shortest title, but I think it's good. You can probably identify with the whole world going crazy. And I bet you also say, yeah, and I don't want to. Well, you don't have to. And maybe you don't even want to feel guilt. You don't want to feel shame. You don't want to feel any bad feelings. Well, good luck with that. It's not quite possible. But guilt and shame, what are they? And is there good that can come from shame? Is there bad that can come from shame? What about guilt? There is an important distinction to be made between the two. And without guilt, I say, civilization would crumble. And with too much shame, you will crumble. So what's the difference between the two? And why is guilt actually necessary? Why is it a good thing? Now again, right now, I'm not going to offer a profound theological explanation of guilt and how and why Jesus became the ultimate sacrifice as compensation for our transgressions. I mean, there are a lot of great books, excellent books written on this crucial topic. But my emphasis is to draw a distinction between guilt and shame from a psychological point of view. And the difference is profound. But allow this non-theologian just a moment to speak briefly on the theological understanding of guilt. Guilt is that sense that you've screwed up or you've done something wrong. However, you don't have to run from the idea that you've blown it. The Apostle Paul reminds you in Romans chapter 3, he said, we all have. We've all blown it. We've all missed the mark. You can take some solace in knowing that you're not alone. You have plenty of company. Everybody who has walked this planet, well, maybe besides Jesus, (laughs) and some really saintly saints, I don't know, they've all blown it. And most people have an awareness of that. And that's okay. Because Paul's point in this, his epistle to the Romans, is that you can never do enough good to earn salvation. That's why God stepped in and paid the price that you could never pay. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was the one act bridging the chasm between how we've separated our lives from God through our sin and how he alone could make atonement for our sin. However, this doesn't mean guilt no longer plays a beneficial role in your life. Yes, you didn't hear me wrong, a beneficial role in your life. Because if you are to love as God commands, you must be aware of how your actions impact others. But back to the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is an awareness that you may have hurt someone else. It looks out toward others and sees how your actions have influenced them negatively, how you've hurt them. Guilt then, that feeling that probably doesn't feel too good, can act actually as a correction tool. Now, I made up a little guilt flowchart. You don't have to look at it. I'll explain it. One. 
you did something wrong. Okay, that means you're human. Two, you feel bad because you see how you've hurt this other person. That makes you a good human. Three, you act better so as not to hurt that person. This makes you an even better human. Four, now you feel better. This makes you a human that isn't riddled with guilt. Now, God's tomb, oh, I almost knocked over my microphone, (laughs) that I would have felt guilty. God's two most important commands are to love him and love others as you love yourself. Matthew chapter 22. You don't have to be unduly weighed down with guilt to love others. Still, to love others, you must ask yourself how your actions, or lack thereof, impact other people's lives. And when you recognize that you've fallen short, you feel bad. That's guilt. And then you can course correct. There's a Chinese saying that says, if you want happiness for an hour, take a nap. If you want happiness for a day, go fishing. If you want happiness for a year, inherit a fortune. If you want happiness for a lifetime, help somebody. Love. You sometimes think that you need to do more for yourselves to feel good. But the truth is, there is actually no research that supports that happiness can be achieved by living just for yourself, doing whatever you want. No guilt. Right? And it's common. I get it. People who come to me as a therapist are like, oh, I feel terrible. And sometimes I'd say, well, what are you doing? (laughs) What are you doing for yourself? But there's another question that I might ask if you came to me with that problem. I don't feel good. Maybe that's guilt you're talking about. Okay, what are you doing for yourself? But what are you doing for others? Even the secular research supports that the idea that we are happier, that the idea that we are happier and live fuller and more meaningful lives when you give and sacrifice for others. That's the message of the gospel, to love. Through MRI technology, we see that giving activates the same parts of the brain stimulated by food and sex. Again, every time I read that, I, my brain comes up with about 37 jokes, but I am going to restrain myself. But altruism, giving, is part of our nature. Again, that's why you feel bad when you act against your nature, which is to love God and others. You feel guilt. Numerous studies demonstrate that giving makes you happy, even happier than when you give to yourself. Research published in the Journal of Social Psychology indicates how doing good can minimize feelings of guilt and have the opposite effect and make you happy. Researchers in Great Britain had participants take a survey measuring life satisfaction, assigning all 86 participants to one of three groups. One group was instructed to perform a daily act of kindness for the next 10 days. Another group was told to do something new every day over those 10 days. And a third group received no instructions. (laughs) I'd fit well into this last group as I'm generally averse to reading instructions. Anyway, I do not recommend that you follow my lead in this area. Now, after 10 days, the researchers asked the participants to compete Uh, to complete the life satisfaction survey again. And the survey found that the groups that had practiced kindness and engaged in novel acts experienced a considerable happiness boost. The third group, 
who got no instructions and so didn't really do anything, didn't get any happier. So the finding suggests that good deeds make you happier. And keep in mind that this boost in happiness came after only 10 days of being kind. Can you imagine the positive impact of dedicating your life to giving, to loving? That is, after all, what God asks you to do. But that's not all. According to another study published online in the Journal of Happiness Studies and conducted by researchers at Harvard Business School and the University of British Columbia, the happier participants felt about their past generosity, the more likely they were in the present to choose to spend time focused on someone else instead of themselves. Now, here's the kicker, however. Not everyone remembered giving their giving happily. But the ones who did, the ones who gave and said, oh, yeah, that was really great. That was awesome. Those people were actually overwhelmingly more likely to be even more giving. Now, this brings me back to Paul and his epistles. Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You've probably heard this read at every wedding you go to, or if not, a regular church service, right? And the message is vital because it addresses how we are to act and the spirit with which we are to act. So remember, this isn't just doing good things for other people. It's about how you do them, the spirit with which you do them. And Paul says, if I speak in human and angelic tongues, but I do not have love I am a resounding gong or a clashing cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and comprehend all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away everything I own and if I hand my body over so that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. So remember, that talks about that spirit with which you do all things. Now, marriage work as a therapist is often the most rewarding and challenging of the thousands and thousands of hours of therapy, of therapy I've offered. I, I believe in it passionately because marriage and family are important to God and to your general welfare and happiness. And here's how Paul's important message above sometimes plays out in the therapy room. If you ever wonder, it's like, Joe, what's it like to be a therapist? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you've never thought of that. But I sit down. So, young couple, old couple, doesn't matter. Tell me about your week. And sometimes then I'd see the man fold his arms. Well, I did what you suggested, Joe. I sacrificed for my wife when I took her to some crappy movie. The wife somewhat angry face, tears forming. The man continues, these women walked and talked and talked and walked about their feelings for over two hours. Not one person blasted off into space. Not one bad guy was taken down. And did I mention I blew about 25 bucks on popcorn and soda? And the wife, tears now flowing freely, freely, right? So again, although this is just a mild suggestion, in this example that I gave, and I've kind of seen examples very similar to this, it's about the spirit with which you give. You can't just do something for somebody and say, see, I did what you wanted. See, the point is, it's not just what you do. 
but the spirit with which you do the doing. You can give, but it won't increase your happiness or minimize guilty feelings unless you share freely and lovingly. But when love accompanies the giving, you not only fulfill God's command, but you create a positive feedback loop. The giving becomes more abundant and frequent and creates joy for both the recipient of your, of your giving and you, a love that goes on and on and on and on. Now, again, I started by saying guilt and shame, shame and guilt. What's the difference? Shame is different than guilt. Whereas guilt says, I've done bad, shame says, I am bad. And if you believe that you're no good, and that's a lie, you will have no motivation to change. What's the point, you say to yourself? It's just who I am. I am rotten. I am no good. Why bother changing? I can't do it because this is who I am. And that sense of shame breeds only misery and doesn't foster growth or change and giving as does appropriate guilt. Remember, guilt, oh man, I feel bad. I did something bad. Oh, I'll use that feeling to actually do something good. Remember, you are God's most magnificent creation. You are made in his image and likeness. That's the message found in Genesis chapter 1. Shame tends to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. Again, remember what Jesus said to the two blind men when he healed them. Matthew chapter 9. I won't go into that whole story. I've talked about it before. But he said, become what you believe. They believed that Jesus could heal them. And that's what they experience. But conversely, if you feel unlovable, which is shame, you won't seek out loving relationships and you might even give up trying to lead a moral life. Why is that? I'll talk about that in our next podcast. But shame, which says, I am bad, I am unworthy, I am unlovable, is a destructive belief and should not be confused with guilt. There are many outcomes of feeling shame, none of which are particularly good. Again, some, for example, have a narcissistic personality disorder and can be wildly successful on a worldly level, achieve great status, power, financial success, but do not envy them because on the inside, they are likely miserable, feeling insecure and unlovable. That's shame. Additionally, they can lose the capacity to feel guilt and thus have no impetus to change their lives. They cannot truly love because they cannot see others as distinct from their wants and needs. In other words, they lack empathy. Guilt has a bad reputation. Feelings of guilt may be your body telling you that you've behaved badly. Use your head and your heart and investigate your life. If you're acting in ways that are contradictory to what you believe is right and good, then change your behavior. I didn't want that music. (laughs) I said, change your behavior. And I was so excited, I hit a button. (laughs) I'm not going to take it out, though. I don't care. See, because I believe in these podcasts, I'm just going to give you the authentic Joe. I'm going to give you the message straight and honest. And even if I mess up, I hit buttons. It wouldn't be the first time. But the message is you don't have to feel shame 
you can feel guilt. And you can use that guilt to change your behavior. Your guilt should subside when you change that behavior and act as you are truly called to be, consistent with what is right and true. Sometimes you may be plagued with guilt and you feel so bad that you think, oh, what is this that I can do? What is that? That is shame. And shame is destructive. But if you feel bad, change your life, give, and love, and those bad feelings will change to happy ones. I will meet you back on the road. And remember, always forward.